this might be the stupidest thing I ever say on here. But that's actually that there's no way because I'll say dumber stuff. So well, it won't be dumber than anything I've said. All right. Hello and welcome to the Money Lap Podcast. I'm Parker Klingerman, joined as always by Landon Castle. And we start landing with the PR lap where we get to talk about all the people that love our podcast. Once again, record numbers in 24 hours. We just keep growing. It's pretty impressive. I'm surprised that we haven't gotten any reviews where they're like, these guys just start every podcast talking about themselves. <laughs> they suck. <laughs> this is horrible. Let's talk about the people. We're love true us. racers, Rod though. I mean, if you're not a racer, you're not a race car driver if you're not just obsessed with yourself and, you know, need to uh, need, congrat- pat yourself on the back, congratulate yourself. It's a... It's, Self-congratulatory is a skill that race car drivers possess. <laughs> it's a tough business, and you need to find the ways to convince yourself that you're still good <laughs> enough to be there. <laughs> That's, That's right. what it is. So, uh, Parker, on our journey, on our quest for, what is it, 100? Are you trying to get to 100 yeah. reviews? We're trying to get to we 100 got a few on more this podcast. Week. We did. We got a few more this week. So, <clears throat> we're at the 71. We had a bunch of new ones. I'm just going to read a couple here of all five stars. Once again, we've never had anything other than five stars. Of course. Uh, some say love this podcast. That's from speedway 30. Can't wait for each episode to come out each week. Learn a bunch from two insiders and guys who never had it easy. That's pretty nice. Um, also they want you to have a soft t-shirt. Let's talk racing over a beer from dud. 74 landing a soft t-shirt. <laughs> I'm I, actually, I am wearing a soft t-shirt today. <laughs> Um, the, sorry, the last couple of weeks I've been wearing uh, button downs. And I think it was more because of your uh, issues you had running. Oh, <laughs> that one right. story. Oh, oh. Uh, I'm remember, remind, remembering my conversations. <laughs> yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yep. You're, don't worry. I'll be here all day. Well, uh, uh, if you're a new listener, go back a couple episodes and find the part where I talk about what happens to your chest when you're running with an abrasive shirt. Anyways, <laughs> that might've just gave it all away right there. Pretty much. Uh, worth it by Myler high life. Oh, I guess that's a different way of saying Miller high life. Kind of cool. Good podcast for someone who just likes to listen. To people talk about racing. Uh, we've got another one. Goof show five stars. RD two sixteen. I bet Landon smells like an athlete. Okay, I can promise you I smell like an athlete today because I have exercised um, and I have not showered. So, And why did I not shower after I exercised? It's because I'm going to exercise again after we record this. I'm going to go for a run. Oh, my goodness. You overachiever. So, That's I awful. Achieving over the expectation. <laughs> we got a couple more. Uh, that were really complimentary, so we appreciate all that. Also on Spotify, we had a couple. Christopher, Parker, and Landon are two great guys that know exactly what they're talking about and love how they talk about different motorsports, keep up the great work. Wes Hurd Jr., as a local weekly dirt late model owner, driver, crew chief, and one-man team, I've always enjoyed how Landon and Parker have covered all of motorsports. So happy you guys are now doing a podcast. Thanks, buddy. And Potatoes, back again. Another great episode. Keep up the great work. Love the insight into driver mindset. Explanation about the finish or theories around Portland. Can't wait for next week. That's our. Uh, speaking, do you want to give any of those a rating? Of potatoes, Parker. Um, 
my kids just had some Chick-fil-A for lunch, I think, and I had a couple fries. So we love potatoes around here. Big potato family. Thanks, potatoes, for the review. Go ahead, Parker. How'd you do a Sonoma? That's, that's wonderful. Thanks. Yeah, so PR lot. We get to talk about our own racing. Uh, finished fifth at Sonoma. So obviously was in the contention for the win at Portland. Made that late move. We discussed it last week. Brought that same car. Team did a great job turning around, making some improvements on it. Uh, we went out and practiced. We were P6. Qualifying, I on my first run, got us in the top five because we were in the harder group. Then got knocked out. So then I went back out. And three quarters of the lap, I would have put us second behind Larson. I wheel hopped into turn seven, lost three or four tenths, and ended up not making the second round, uh, which sucked. So we qualified 12th. But we, I knew we had a good race car. And we got in the race. And sure enough, the first run, we were really fast, um, you know, making it, la- making it live on the long run, which is really important there because it's just such high fall off. We got in the second stage or second run because, you know, we don't really – the stages are actually no longer breaks. It's just green flag. And we had some, I mean, bad set of tires, whatever, not the right way in adjustments. We got really loose, ended up only getting to, like, ninth in that run, I think. Um, Did you get my then, text? Well, hold on, hold on. And then, the, yeah, I, I, hold on. I'll go into that in a sec. And then <laughs> – we, uh, we got in the last run, and it came right back to life and drove all the way you know, to where we were going to be inside the top five and finished fifth with an epic battle, by the way, between Cole Cusher and myself the last lap because I had caught Justin Allgaier, got by him with a little bit of contact, but it wasn't. I think it was just hard racing, and we were a spot where he had made a mistake, and I think he was struggling with his power steering. Um, and so we, we get by him with a little bit of contact, but I allowed Cole Cusher to get right to my bumper in the last lap, and Cole didn't ship me. So I shook his hand afterwards for saying, saying thank you for racing me clean. Generous. The highest finishing Xfinity driver, which is cool. But I really want to be up again racing against the cup guys. And I think, you know, if I have a better qualifying and we work on some things, I think we could be there. Um, but overall, a solid day. Big points day. I, I felt like it was, a, it was just a good, solid day. I, I, if, we, if you could make, you know, 90% of your season races look like that. Your top five in points. Just you'd be, yeah, you'd just be golden. Grinding away days. at it. Huh? <laughs> you'd be golden with days like that. Like that, yeah. Those, you know, stage points in both stages, always key. And then just executing. Pit crew did a great job. There was just not really anywhere that we, we misstepped, right? Um, and if, yeah, if you do that, you will win some races and you will absolutely be top five in points. And that's what you have to do. Uh, in this series. So overall solid. We get an off weekend, my only one of the year, basically. So I am, mm-hmm. uh, I'm quite looking forward to this, but before we go there, we got a lot of racing to talk about, uh, from over this weekend. Was that your, was that your first time at Sonoma? No. I know you raced uh, there. You raced there in cup and trucks and I did two cup races there. So 2018, mm-hmm. 2019. And then I did the truck race last year. Oof. Do you remember your do you remember the first your first car, your first drive at Sonoma at that track? Like the feeling <laughs> I, going up the hill to turn one? I do. And it was at GBR and I had just, you know, done my first race with them. This was like my second race. And I had felt very confident about Sonoma because I had turned about four bajillion laps over my lifetime on racing sims and NASCAR games there that I felt <laughs> I was like, I know this place. And I went out, and I think I was like 35th in practice. And I was like, ooh, okay, got to do some work. Qualified <laughs> terribly. 
but got in the race and it sort of clicked. I had talked to AJ right before the race and he told me this one specific thing about drive off and it just suddenly it clicked and I drove all the way up in the top 20 um, with that GBR car. I ended up, I think, finishing 23rd, but it was like a very solid day for that team is just starting out part-time and I think it was their first road course race or something. And so it was just overall really solid and that gave me a ton of confidence from that point on forward. But I do remember that first time at the Hill and everything and being like, wait, this isn't like the video game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sonoma was my first um, road course in a cup car, I think. Mm. So, yeah, I'd driven Xfinity at road courses at the time, but my first time at Sonoma was in a cup car too. So I, it's like that feeling uh, out there for the first time was pretty, pretty, pretty impressive. Like going, I guess you don't realize that that hill going up to turn two um, how impressive it is. It's, do you, um, you walk it too. Do you remember your first car, Parker? Uh, yeah, I do actually from high school. Yeah. I remember my first car. What was it? Do you really, well, so this is going to sound a bit bougie, but you have to know the context and I don't mean this in a sad way, but <laughs> did I put on. you on the spot? Yes, you did. But it, it was a Mercedes C240, but an O. That's so bougie. Yeah, oh it was like an gosh. 01. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It was it was older. And um I it was a sad situation. My grandpa passed away. My dad had bought it for him um as like a present uh, you know, in his later life. And so it was kind of then like, what do we do with this car? And it became a family car. And then when I turned, you know, when I got my license, they're like, Here you go, here's a car. <laughs> Take like I didn't really own it, but it was my car to use to go to school and such. <laughs> so did look way cooler or sound way cooler than it actually was. My uh, my first car. I don't know if then this is kind of a grandpa thing. I I, I guess I don't know how it was for you. For me, my first car was like a first love. I don't. Hmm. Know, is that kind of how it was for you? That car? No. Yes. No. 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 <laughs> Maybe <laughs> not that car. Mine was like a first love because just just how special just the whole. Not in, and maybe I don't know, maybe first love is not the right comparison because I got the car, it was a hand me down from my brother, so that would be an awkward first love, I guess. But hey, some <laughs> people do it. Um, <laughs> mine was a 1988 Ford Festiva, and oh. it the day that I got that car, my dad was like, Hey, you know, Zach is ready to buy his own vehicle. Um, and if you can change the clutch, you know, you and Zach need to change the clutch in it because the clutch is pretty much wore out. You change the clutch in it, um, you can drive it. So they, you know, he gave us a clutch and, and printed off the instructions on how to change the clutch in a Ford Festiva. And me and my brother changed the clutch after school one day um, <laughs> at, the, at the shop on this Ford Festiva. We only had like six or eight extra nuts and bolts when we were done that I didn't know what they were for, but, um, <laughs> it was, uh, it was quite an experience, but yeah, that's a, that car was like a first love for me. We actually, it, the, one of my favorite parts about that car was the, um, the gas gauge didn't, I want to say it didn't work, but once, once the fuel went down to halfway on the, on the fuel gauge, the, the gas, which is the fuel gauge would just drop to empty. So you could track your fuel until um, until about halfway, and then you had to, you know, eyeball it or go off a of feel for the last however long half a tank of gas. Um, 
So needless to say, you know, my fuel mileage, um, that's, that was the birth of my fuel mileage calculation skills. Um, and I didn't get it right all the time. I ran out of gas several times in that car. Uh, <laughs> one time wait, my friend, Danny, wait, wait, how many, like yes? you legitimately ran out of gas. Yeah. Like I would be cutting it close thinking, you know, I had an extra day of fuel or didn't you know underestimate how many miles i was driving or maybe i didn't keep track of it as good as i would and i was, I was thinking oh, okay i'm just gonna run to the gas station i'd run out of gas so <laughs> on the side of the road i had to call my friend or my dad or you know um so like one time i ran out of gas and i was about a mile from a gas station so i called my my best friend danny at the time who drove a ford tempo that he bought from my dad for a dollar um and <laughs> he i I was like, hey, I'm out of gas. He's like, you need me to pick you up? And I'm like, well, I mean, sure, but I, I need to get my car to the gas station. So he came, he, I told him where I was at, and he pulled up along the side of the road, and he just pushed me to the gas station because it, it was a manual <laughs> transmission. I just kicked it in neutral. He's, so he pushed me down the road, like about, a, a, I don't know, a mile or two to the gas station, and I rolled into the gas station and, and gassed up the Festiva. <laughs> you never done that before? I... Have never in run a race out of car, gas maybe, but not car. on the road. Yeah, I've never run out of gas. Nope. I've because I, I've somehow nearly avoided. I have been in two instances in my life where I was convinced I was going to run out of gas, and it would be the worst situation possible. One time was leaving New York City, which, if anyone's driven out of New York City towards Connecticut or New Jersey, you will have large swaths of area where you cannot get a gas station. It does not exist, and when you get off the highway, you're in some industrial weird like you know warehouse area that has nothing well that was me a couple years ago and i found what i thought when i finally rolled up to it was closed but the pumps were still on gas station that saved me because my car had been on zero and empty for like 15 minutes <laughs> and i had chosen this this taken the risk of like i'm gonna go towards this gas station i found on the maps and Thankfully, it was able to be filled up. But I was I, I, that day. I remember vividly being like, "Yep, that's it. I'm going to run out of gas in this area, and I don't know how I'm going to get out of here." So I so not to drag this out, but I've actually learned almost learned the hard way in very similar scenarios in New York um, that in New Jersey it's illegal to pump your own gas. So <laughs> yes. I've learned very close to learning the hard way, super low, close on fuel, driving through New Jersey into New York City. And stop at what I think is an open gas station late at night, and it was a closed gas station, and I'm at zero on fuel, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Anyways, I, I just that that's anyways that car. That's I'm sorry, just go down this tangent that talking about cars and first loves. I mean, for me, that car was a first love. I have no idea where that old car is. I think it's still somewhere in Iowa. Or maybe we know where it's at. I don't know. I, I don't know where that is. I wish that I had a way to commemorate it into immortality because it was so special to me. Like if it were a diecast or something like that. Um, <laughs> no, I can't commemorate my old Festiva as a diecast. You know what you can keep in a diecast? Your favorite driver's car from NASCAR, F1, IndyCar, and many others. In that category, spoiler diecast has got you covered. With the same or next day shipping, free shipping on orders over $20, $20 and over 800 unique products in stock, Spoiler Diecast is a young company growing in the racing industry. 
They offer die-cast models for NASCAR, dirt sprint cars, IndyCar, and F1 with a pre-order system in place for those hard-to-find models. And here's the kicker. You use promo code MONEYLAP and get free shipping plus 5% off all orders. Most, realtor, most retailers don't even offer free shipping, so this is the most aggressive offer in the market. So don't wait. <laughs> Head over to SpoilerDieCast.com today and start your collection. And speaking of collections, let's give them a collection of news. Well done. Motorsports. Well done. And the uh, you may not be able to find your Festiva on there, but you are able to find Landing Castle's Voyager car from last year. <laughs> it's mm. a percentage off. So if we're, awesome. if we are if if we're calculating my lifetime loves in terms of cars, the Festiva might be my first love, and the Voyager car would would have been my hundredth, couple hundredth love of all the race cars <laughs> I've driven. <laughs> we'll we'll dive into that more later. <laughs> we oh, might have to explore wow. that a little be bit. A subscribers only episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's talk about what the do we got? series. Uh, yeah. because it might have been the more interesting race of the two at Sonoma, or the couple at Sonoma this past weekend, uh, for probably reasons leading up to the race. So a little bit of background for the listeners out there. So we arrive and practice and uh, do a 55-minute practice for the Xfinity Series on Friday, right? And mm-hmm. that's because it's a new track to the Xfinity Series. Kyle Larson is in the Hendrick Motorsports number 17. He proceeds to go out there and be more than one whole second faster than the Xfinity Series field, which includes A.J. Allmendinger, Eric Almirola, uh, and obviously all the Xfinity Series regulars. So pretty unbelievable, right? But many people asking questions, okay, is that legitimate? How is that possible? I I end up talking to A.J. for about an hour on that. (laughs) Afterwards, being like, what are we doing here? We got into qualifying. He did effectively win the pole by almost a second, I believe. Um, in which case, I went up to him before at driver intros and said, hey, I just wanted to, I called to, I was up on the stage and I looked down at him and I said, Kyle. He looked at me and said, I said, I just wanted to know what God looked like for this fear, this one moment, right? <laughs> this guy is that much faster. He was also half a second faster than the cup field in their practice, but he didn't make the second round of qualifying to go fight for the pole. And this was the first kink in the armor for Kyle Larson, who then got in the Xfinity Series race, which was a competitive race amongst the cup guys and obviously with the highest Xfinity guy. But he didn't win that one either, Landon. And it really came down to him being, he a quote, too greedy towards the end of the race there that allowed Eric Almirola to win. Pretty wild to see that sort of change from that speed to not winning. Either of them. The Xfinity race, and I'm I'm looking at your notes. I don't know who wrote this, but it was a savage that said it was a throwback to CGR Kyle in a late race choke. Those are not my words. <laughs> did you write that? I did not write that. That's that's was producer. That producer Josh. Okay, Josh producer wrote Josh. the savage description for this. Um, not my words, but I would have to agree. I guess I what I saw. In those couple laps, and I feel like I've seen this with Larson at times. I, I mean, I think we even saw it with him at Darlington um, with John Hunter Nemechek is in those high-pressure scenarios where he's like, I don't want to say guaranteed to win isn't the right word, but like definitely the favorite to win, whether he's the fastest car in that moment or, um, you know, he's catching a leader really fast. 
it's almost like he gets in a hurry to make the move. Does that make sense? And I, have you rewatched the end of the Xfinity race? I did. Um, did you? I, I do get you, what you're saying. Did you see what I'm talking about here? Like he made a move on AJ at one point when he was coming through the field after that, getting stuck on that restart, where he was trying to pass AJ like on the left side coming to the start finish line, and it was. I know you don't want to break momentum, but he put himself in a position to get completely chopped by AJ and either hit the fence or spin AJ, which AJ, you know, they had contact and that actually damaged his right front splitter. Um, and he finally got, he got around AJ and then when he caught Eric, you know, he's a half a second or more faster than Eric and he had three or four laps to go. And he was kind of making these dive bomb looking moves on him that, didn't this seemed like desperate desperation type moves when he wasn't didn't need to be desperate you mm-hmm. know what i mean yep i don't know if you saw the same thing but um and then it kind of led to that turn 11 where he just just clipped the the tires you know where this where he's talking about getting greedy he was a little too too close to the to the tires um in turn 11 there which i saw the way he was driving turn 11 i think i texted you after practice um i felt like both in the Xfinity car and the Cup car, uh, the way he shapes that corner is different than everybody else, and I feel like he carries more speed. He he cuts a ton of time out of that corner that I don't think a lot of other people are doing or yep. doing well. He just does it really well. But um, yeah, he had that to his advantage catching Eric there. Would catch him in turn eleven every lap, and then finally it just he was too far to the inside. But I don't know. It, so. Well, you hold know. up, hold up. So, Go ahead. W- one thing there that I thought was interesting. So, I, I don't know if I fully agree with you. And because I, I think when you have that level of speed advantage, right, it's, I know what you're saying, which is you can be more patient. You don't have to be so desperate. You don't have to take the moves, that sort of thing. But I think for him, in his position, where I've been there a couple times in my life, I, I did an ARCA race at New Jersey Motorsports Park in 2016 where I sat on the pole by 1.1 seconds. I think I led like 50-some-odd laps of out of 60. And I had one point in the race where I had to come back to the field because of pit strategy. And I had mm-hmm. the same thing, which was like I knew I had this massive speed advantage. And so – but – and I, I my mentality was, yes, take your time. But there was places where I was so much faster, Right that I'm sure the move almost looked like late or from far back or maybe desperate, right? But for me, it was so simple because I had such a speed advantage, right? Does this make sense, what I'm trying to say here? Um, I mean, it does if you complete the move, but if you, if you attempt the to move, move yes. he you know, like I, I'm, I'm, ta- I'm thinking of two examples specifically where he made an awkward, he made a move on AJ that put himself in an awkward position that AJ essentially kept him from completing the past and caused damage to his car. So that's desperate. Yeah. Right. So to me, that's like, Hey, if, if AJ would have gave him the space and been like, Oh my gosh, man, you're, you're way faster. And he made the move. Then it's like, okay, yeah. When you're that fast, you can make those moves in those, those parts of the track, but it's not what happened. Right. And he actually ended up with damage on his car and had to pass Hmm. AJ half a lap later. And then the same with, with Eric, um, it just it, it just seemed like it, it just seemed a little erratic. And maybe we I maybe need to go back and watch it again to kind of find better examples. But it just seemed like he was so anxious to get back in the lead because he knew he belonged there. 
yep. that it wasn't he wasn't thinking tactly tactfully he was just thinking oh my gosh i'm i can't blow this race i've got the fastest car um i'm fast enough to just pass these guys yep um and, well one more thing in his defense it did get incredibly harder to pass the later you waited in a run that was something mm-hmm. very obvious i could yeah, catch cars by sure. seconds but when i got 10 15 8 you know that past that 15 lap mark on tires you mm-hmm. were it didn't matter how fast you were it was incredibly hard to pass so yeah that could have been some of the desperation right and why he was pushing so hard but there is no denying that if you have that level of speed to not come out of there with the trophy has to be just you know so frustrating i mean right i i don't i and people were asking me this after practice i said the him in practice being 1.2 seconds faster than the field. We haven't seen that in any NASCAR series in a long time. Landon, Landon, I, that might, I said to people, that is the most single most impressive thing I've ever seen in my entire racing career. And I know it's just practice, but he backed it up in qualifying. And to be, I, you know, yes, a Hendrick Motorsports prepared car, I'm sure is great. But is it one? I was fast point- last year for sure. Yes, but that's one tenth in every single corner, essentially. <laughs> if you make, if you think of Sonoma at twelve corners, it's one tenth in every mm-hmm. corner, one whole tenth. Which is, you know, someone said it to me. My engineer had the best statement to someone who was trying to to, to understand how much faster he was. He said, "You know the num- the difference for you in money terms between I don't know a million and a billion." <laughs> he was like, "That is being one point two seconds faster." Is like a million to a trillion in racing terms <laughs> between you know being that much faster to the next car. So it's like I, I I still right now in my brain I looked at SMT I tried to conceptualize it and and rationalize it but I just to right now sitting here on this podcast still could not rationalize how he was that much faster than everyone. Yep. In the cup car, I felt like I I watched cup qualifying live and when he was fourth right off the bat in his group i thought that maybe he tried to make an easy lap to save his tires thinking that top five would be fairly easy and it looked like he was going to get away with it and then he went back out and just got um he didn't pick up and other people did i don't know I, well he said th- that he said that oh, in is that interview. what he did yeah, he said he tried to be easy the first one, take care of the tires. It didn't work. And then he he said he messed up or underdrove the second one or something as well. Didn't pick up. And then it was like from there, he just he just had a track position. He got stuck, which is mm-hmm. so funny because we say that, and that is so true, right? For 99% of the field, track position can absolutely make or break your race. It can take a car like Kyle Larson who – you know, he he was the best car and probably driver of the weekend and got stuck in track position, couldn't get through. And yet we see the winning driver, Martin Trix, come through the field. Yeah. Right? Like, there's always an exception. <laughs> yep. And I don't know what it takes. I To me, I feel like that's a balance thing where Kyle's car, Kyle might have been faster or or been a better driver than Martin that day. But... 
maybe Martin's car was balanced better for racing and traffic that just allowed him to pick cars off and to get through traffic where Kyle might've struggled on short runs. You know, I'm kind of saying this with assumptions. I'm not really backing it up with any data, but I'm just saying that like Kyle could have had a practice winning car, but not necessarily a race winning car when you have to start in the field and go three wide on restarts and pass people and things like that, you know? Yep. And I, Honestly, what you just said kind of summed up the cup race for mm-hmm. us, did it not? Right? It's like <laughs> that was that was the the cup race. Um, Everybody was landlocked except for Truex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and so once again, the road course package of this next gen era proves to not be the most entertaining product. Um, and I, I, I think. There's, you know, something's going to have to change on this car in a big way to make the road courses more traditional stock car racing style. Mm-hmm. Um, what to, what know, did you think about what we see in the Xfinity series? What did you think about no stage breaks? I love it. I, I mean, personally in the car, I think it's great. I think watching-wise, it at least gives me some anticipation for there being, you know, a strategy or a you know, to see a real long run car come into the fray, that sort of thing. I respect it and I prefer it so that it's different, right? On the ovals, <laughs> I'm totally cool with the cautions, but on the road courses, it just made the strategy so predictable. And I, I you still have mm-hmm. a little bit of that where you can decide to take stage points or not, but I like I like the idea of just let's run this traditionally yeah. um, and make it a real st- road course style race that could have a fuel mileage thing. It could have you know, off strategies, two stop or three stop, whatever it is, right? I just I like that. Um, so Simon, and it's yeah, different. Road course you know, racing different. has road course racing has the potential for some really really interesting strategies. Um, and I think that that is the that is one element of road course racing that um, that overcomes, you know long green flag runs and full course cautions is you get strategy with it when you have, you know what, even though you have to have long runs and, you know, less cautions, you get some good strategy in there that can really play out. So, yeah, I, I, I hope they keep it going. And as always, uh, we're going to keep going through the motorsport news from around the world. Although there's a lot of NASCAR, right? I think, uh, if you want more motorsport news, go to themoneylap.com, sign up for our newsletter to get the best five minutes of motorsports delivered directly to your inbox, including highlights of all the races from the past weekend on Mondays. And then you have the, uh, obviously the news sections on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So going off our uh, kind of plan here for a second, I do want to point out if any newsletter readers are also listening right now. So we've gotten some feedback from the Monday newsletter because it's a, it's like a video recap that we do on Mondays and it's not a full on like news articles, just links to video recaps. We got some feedback that, that there's some fans that like to rewatch the race or like to watch the races if they miss them on Sundays and asked us not to do the Monday newsletter so I'm almost thinking, do we need to change the Monday newsletter to where there's no spoilers in it? It's just, mm-hmm. it's just highlight videos. So we can still send the newsletter to those fans. They can still receive the newsletter if they don't know what happened and they want to watch the whole race without being spoiled. I think that's the key. So we will, we will remove the spoilers going forward. The only spoilers you need to have are Spoiler Diecast, SpoilerDiecast.com. Wow. <laughs> this landed made clear earlier. Good one. Yeah, thank wow. you. Thank you. Nice little... 
Good one there, That's, Parker. You know, in the Look biz, at you. Look in the at biz you. we call that a connector. So it's it's awesome. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about money. Not just because this is the money lap. Before we leave NASCAR land, uh, a friend of the podcast, overall great guy, well-known journalist in the NASCAR arena, Dustin Long, sent us a note, listener of the Money Lap podcast, uh, that as of last week, NASCAR has fined more than one has had more than one million dollars in fines towards teams this year. You have the Phoenix Louvers for Hendrick, uh, which was five hundred thousand, and colleague thirty-one car. You had the Martinsville Underwing for the three car of from RCR for seventy-five grand. The Richmond Greenhouse for Hendrick of one hundred fifty grand. Uh, Charlotte, the counterfeit part for the number fourteen Stuart Haas, two hundred fifty grand. Uh, Gateway greenhouse on the number 43 car, $75,000 totaling 1.050. One, wait, how should I say that? $1,050,000 to the NASCAR mm-hmm. foundation, of course, which is where all these fines go, uh, to charitable efforts, but pretty incredible in this next gen era to see this level of fines and the statement that NASCAR is making, which is look, we made this car to protect teams from themselves, right? That was the basis, the goal here to remove cost, to stop making parts and pieces that are built within the same little box to beat each other and instead put on a closer, more entertaining show. That means don't touch it, right? These fines, in my opinion, are the level we're seeing because this is NASCAR making the statement of saying, do not touch or mess with this car. That's the intention. And we're going to keep throwing huge fines if you keep messing with this car. But racers are racers. I don't know. I don't know if that's the statement they're making. Well, how is it not the statement? To me, it's like it's still the same system. It's still a system of rules, parts, break rules, find out how much it costs to break the rule. Yeah, okay. Are the teams thinking right now about how to not break a rule or are they thinking about how much the next rule break is going to cost them because that allows that's what's allowing them to to really make a cost benefit analysis of cheating right Mm -hmm. and what about well points too you're losing points massive points penalties have been mm -hmm. levied as well and you still have it, it it's just it's I, I don't know i guess i guess it um what really needs to change and what nascar i hope is trying to change is the culture in motorsports right that cheating cheating is part of our culture in motorsports it's a feature of our sport right mm-hmm. like we tell stories and it's 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 folklore about cheating cheaters that get caught you know there's there's great stories about what what they did to skirt the rules and how it made their car faster and i understand why i like i mean i it's it's fun right that's stock car racing was founded on bootleggers and you know running whiskey away from you know running away from the cops and then modified cars to make them faster and being you know creative and inventive so 
there's there's a reason that that you know that it that that's it part of our culture so now we're kind of on this path of like we we i'm asking i'm kind of asking the question are we trying to unwind that out of our culture because the the cost of r&d is is a threat to the business model of these teams right so nascar created this next gen car with spec parts in a way to cut down the cost of R&D and manufacturing as much as possible, right? You can, you can, in the future, you can run a NASCAR team out of a shop, not out of a huge manufacturing complex because the, the, the parts are, are assigned, right? They're spec parts. They're, they're made, they're already made by another manufacturer. You just buy the parts and assemble the car. And by the way, that doesn't, you know, there was a tweet from Couchracer at me when I, I had my, my uh, I made a tweet in response to NASCAR posting, you know, publicly the part and, and, um, and the, the penalty with SHR and the, the, the Couchracer tweet said something along the lines of, you know, this, this kills ingenuity or something like that in the sport. And I'm like, well, you don't have to be a manufacturing business to still have ingenuity. I mean, there's still there's still a lot of creativity in this sport, a lot of knowledge in the sport that goes into figuring out how to make these cars go fast, even with spec parts. But I guess that the, the question is, you know, are we, is this, are we trying to change this culture and is this actually changing the culture? Yeah, I see that. And I don't think you're going to change the culture because you have a mechanical mechanical component between you and success right in motorsports it's unique amongst sports in that you have that right um and as long as that's there and the reward and the the incentive structure is to use that mechanical component to go win the race and get the prize and get the money right and so on and so forth that's the incentive is to adjust on that and to try and make it into something that is faster than I, the other guy, right? But I, I think, think and so that have, okay, culture of racing. I think you have the 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 feedback loop correct, but okay. you, but but you're. I think you're assigning it too much to mechanical structures because the same applies in sports, right? In 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 any other sport, take you know a baseball player, right? The mm-hmm. mechanical structure in a baseball player is their own body. That's their limiting factor to them hitting more home runs, right? That's why they juice. That's why they take drugs to make them stronger because they can only spend so much time in the gym, right, and eat so much food to get to build enough muscle. They need synthetic assistance, right? Okay. So the my so the in and the incentive is the fact that it's a competition right that to me that's what you were saying by like oh it's always going to be there because there's this mechanical structure between you and and success right well that's the same in another sport right there's this mechanical structure your body your body's limitations between you and success mm-hmm. so they're always going to be pushing the limits of what they can do around the rules to me the difference is in another sport like baseball or like cycling right Lance Armstrong got busted for cheating and cycling and got his trophies stripped from him and kicked out of the sport entirely. Yep. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say that's what we should do to everyone at SHR. <laughs> uh, Bad but, hammer. But the question is, you know, on this spectrum of trying to change the culture, what is, 
what is the right way to do that? And are we actually trying to change the culture? You know, like what's, what is a true attempt? I don't know. I'm well, I'm not I'm like looking at I just it. From thought a of really, something. I just that? thought of something. This might be the stupidest thing I ever say on here, but that's actually that there's no way. Cause I'll say dumber stuff. So well, it won't be dumber than anything I've said. So go ahead. Well, no, I mean, Hey, I give you, I give you like five out of 10. Um, if you wanted to change the culture, think about how we go. Think about the tech process. So the tech process, for those who don't know, car shows up to the racetrack. NASCAR has arranged timing for the tech process mm-hmm. to happen. You get drugged through there via your place and points. And the idea is to get all the tolerances as close as you possibly can for what you're trying to achieve without NASCAR saying, nope, that's not within the rules, and you have to go back through, right? And you go through yep. many times, you eventually start to lose crew members and then points, and then you start the race from pit lane, and that's, or you have to go through pit lane, so on and so forth, right? It's escalating in terms of the, the problems if you go through mm-hmm. multiple times. It's not a perfect process because it is, uh, you know, there's tr- a tremendous amount of variables that teams will tell you either from when we saw them trying to cover the cars because the heat would change the body and that sort of thing from the sun. And so mm-hmm. there is a lot of variables there for teams that are trying to be incredibly close on their tolerances. If you mm-hmm. wanted to change the culture, you would no longer reward – you would reward cars that were actually the closest to stock. Oh. So – Instead of the incentive for the race teams to go through there and get everything as close as they could, there would be some sort of reward for having the most bone-close stock car there is. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. So let's, say, <laughs> let's just start with weight. Let's just say that you could weigh – what are the cars weigh now? Oh, heavy. The um, 30, they're close to 3,600, I thought now. 35-something? Are they really? Oh, my I gosh. Thought. I thought. Well, I mean, I could be 30, totally butchering that. But. Let's just say 30 – Let's just say 3,600. Let's say that if you go through legally, you can weigh 3,600. Like if your whole body is green on the NASCAR's scanner has like different colors for where you're at in the, in the compliance, I guess, spectrum. And green means you're way good, which typical crew chiefs are mad if their whole car is green because it means they're too legal. So they want to be like blue or yellow at some points, and then red, you know, is is a no pass. So I think that's how it works. Anyways, so what you're <laughs> saying is, if you're all green on the entire car, then you can weigh 3,600. But if you have any yellow or blue, then you have to add 50 pounds. <laughs> Which well, and, and if you so- have like a certain amount of. Like you basically just get graded on your path on on how you did through inspection on the body at least. Now this wouldn't this wouldn't necessarily apply to counterfeit parts like what SHR did, where they literally took a spec part, made their own with modifications, and then tried to get past inspection <laughs> with it. But but like you know for <laughs> that's a very interesting uh, that's a very interesting perspective. And how about um, four you, car organizations? Potentially having a sacrificial lamb with a part. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, uh... I'm just saying, if you were a team, and if you had a four-car team, mm-hmm. and you thought, hmm, what if we could get this part through? Would you put it on all four cars? 
I think that's. I think it depends on the organization. I don't. I don't. I don't know strategically. I don't know how strategic. Um, I don't know. I, I can tell you this. I think that organizations look at the current process, inspection mm-hmm. process, and they make an evaluation then on who's been inspecting what. You know, has this been looked at in the last few weeks? Is this who's the typical inspector that tends to look at these parts and pieces? Um, is that inspector going to be there this weekend, right? Or who's working, like literally who's going to be there, who's working the, the shift? Um, and I think sometimes those are game day decisions too. When they <laughs> get a look at the inspection line, they see who see who's looking at what. And they know they know that certain inspectors like to look at NACA ducks or certain inspectors like to look at other things, right? And they, they can, I think they make their own judgment on do we try to get this through, right? And then I think on a multi, yeah. at a multi-core, what's that? Well, it's an imperfect process, which we basically said. Yeah, I think right? it's an imperfect process because also I think at a multi-car organization, I think it tends to come down to the crew chief to make the call on, on certain parts and pieces. And even though the organization itself can maybe you know a higher up at the organization approves the use of an illegal part um it still comes down to the crew chief and even though the organizations do tend to support their crew chiefs when it comes to paying fines and and things like that i i think it's still the crew chief's name that's on the penalty so the crew chief is the one that makes the final call that goes on their car well so i think that's where you see most of the variation between cars that team cars that maybe have a part and team cars that don't Makes sense. Let's, and I'm speaking uh, in general. I mean, if you you know if a, yeah, if a team wanted to call me right now and say that's not how we do it, it's like okay. <laughs> but I'm just saying, that, <laughs> you know, I, that's one logical way to look at the whole thing. Um, and then, like I said, especially the whole game day inspection process. Um, yeah, some teams simply just will or won't make those risks based on who they know is tends yep. to look at certain categorical items. Well, we've basically fixed NASCAR uh, here today on the Money Lab <laughs> podcast, including inspection. So, NASCAR, if you're listening, reach out to us for any ideas of how to completely change the culture the thing, of motorsports. Well, hold on. The last thing uh, I want to say about this. Go ahead. The last thing I want to say about this is I want um, – I believe that uh, – um, what am I trying to say? Oh, I've said this before. I don't know if it's been on actually one of our produced podcast or published podcasts, but – what I want to see happen is NASCAR sends the cars through inspection, collects all the data, and publicizes it mm. to the broadcast partners, to all the other teams, the four corner weights, shock settings, car setup, um, the tire alignment, the body build. I wish I want them to publish publicize all of that. Interesting. If you are listening to this. And you like the idea of how to change our idea for changing the culture? You have a better one. Let us know. Reach out to us. All of our social media. We're going to move on because we we basically spent all the time in the world on that. Speaking of NASCAR, uh, we'll dive into this later more in the Lamal stuff. But just quickly, uh, reported out there that NASCAR's Lamal entry is one part of its expanding global plans with execs making trips all over the world recently and evaluating opportunities in regions like the Middle East, according to Adam Stern from Sports Business Journal. Ben Kennedy said he's already starting to think about the 2025, 2026, and 2027 schedules. Could that be international? We will see. Uh, MotoGP 
very international, raced at Mojello this past weekend. Raul Fernandez, though, did something uh, quite impressive. He finished P17, which isn't the impressive part, but he did it after vomiting in his helmet. Oof. I've never had to do that, but that sounds awful. <laughs> I've never done that. I know of a driver that um, one of my favorite drivers growing up, early mentor in my career, Gary St. Amant, uh, told me that he vomited in his helmet every time he drove on a road course. <laughs> I mean, if that's not a Midwestern stock car racer for you, then I, then I don't know what to tell you. He would not do well in the current day of NASCAR. Um, Joanne Mir <laughs> he would not uh, was, do well out in of the, the current Germany Cup schedule. GP after he had a hand injury, uh, Mugello. And Pecco Bagnaia won both the sprint and the GP overall. He now has a 21-point lead in MotoGP. Formula One. So they didn't race this past weekend, but there was some news that came out there. There are a lot of fun topics to dive into. First and foremost, ESPN announced that they're going to do an alternate broadcast similar to the Manning broadcast uh, that's on uh, Monday Night Football where it's sort of like a viewership viewing party. Um, and interesting. basically it's going to be Daniel Ricardo and Will Arnett. And so this is interesting because – We'll get into the TV ratings of F1 in a little bit. But it's it's something that I think a lot of people are trying to ex- expand on is these alternate viewing experiences, especially with a lot of people having two screens, so on and so forth. Um, so I think you know this is something we're going to continue to see. But I did listen to – I guess Will Arnett is a big F1 fan. But I did listen to a podcast he had come out maybe a year ago that didn't last. Um, and no offense, Will, because I think he's an incredible actor. I love – so many things he's in, and I think he's hilarious. It was dreadful. Um, so I hope it's better than that. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Not to be mean. Um, that made, there's just a little description that you made. That would be interesting to watch that. The description you gave me made me think of the, um, the, like the Nickelodeon-themed football games. Yes. I think that have happened. Yep. Is that similar? Is that a kind same of a similar thing. mindset? Same, same idea alternate broadcast sort of stuff. So we'll see if it pans out. Um, but, and what it's like, it's only gonna be three races, by the way. How about, um, how about Parker, my F1 top signal of the day? Uh, do you want to hear this? Well, wait, before you do that, I just want to put one other thing out there. Uh, Fred Vassar, who's Mm -hmm. Ferrari's new boss as of this year, um, was talking about the problems that they've had. And I thought this was an interesting quote I saw on speedcafe.com. He said, we have 1,000 people focused on this, but it is very difficult to fix. <laughs> I just, I like the idea. 1,000 people working on two F1 cars trying to fix that they can't beat. Uh, well, they, they, they often beat themselves, basically. That's an interesting way to put in perspective uh, <laughs> how monumental a task it is to make a car go fast. <laughs> yeah. All right, give me your top signal. <laughs> uh, F1 top signal of the day. The F1 arcade has raised about $38 million in new funds to build a bunch of their restaurants and part, uh, party venues, restaurants, uh, mostly in the U.S. They've got money from Liberty Media, F1, Zach Brown, Lando Norris, Logan Sargent, F1 drivers. 
So is it an F1 top signal that we just raised $38 million to build a sim lounge? Like a, what, what are we calling this? I, so Bozy Tachrevic, who everyone loves to follow for um, ed, you know, breakdowns mechanically and sort of engineering-wise of, of racing, especially NASCAR, does a great job of that, posted or subtweeted this with a picture of the NASCAR cafe which was a booming thing in NASCAR's oh, boom time in the early 2000s, which I believe they opened multiple locations around the U.S. I don't believe any of them are still open. Uh, I know the one that was in Charlotte Airport disappeared. Um, and I have to think. You, like, to me, this might be the moment in which I say, time out. Time out. So you're going to provide us a restaurant experience with probably, most likely average food, right? I mean, maybe it's the best food in the world, whatever. Still not going to be the focus of this place. Drinks that will be very expensive, of course. That's normally how these things operate. And then you're going to give me a bunch of simulators that apparently only have Formula One. <laughs> so they'll just be the F1 game that you could buy at home that will have simulators, which means they'll have steering wheels. I'm just trying to find the thing, which I, I've looked into these. I've seen how the, you know, they're sort of looking at these. And I've seen photos of the one they had in London, I believe. And I'm trying to find what makes it any different than almost every one of these entertainment things out there other than there's two letters or, or uh, you know, um, characters that different than them, which is F1. Because I can't find it. And until I do, I think this is most likely, as you put it, a very big top signal. The, it, it is interesting that it's going down this trend of, of these – Sports, play, entertainment facilities like Top Golf. I feel like bowling is making a resurgence right now because you can have a lot of fun at a bowling alley nowadays with food and drink. And um, I'm trying to think of what o- what other sports. Um, I think Tiger Woods has a, is kind of bringing mini golf. Um, yeah. Uh, what do they call it? Pop pop shot or pop something. Um, indoor that's kind of a pretty cool uh mini golf experience type thing so um it it's down that same path which makes it interesting to me that you can go to a bar and drink and eat and jump on a simulator and make some laps with your buddies but i i don't think that like the drinking and driving thing really matches up with me very well like i can't grasp not that drinking and playing in bowling is a good idea or drinking and playing golf. I mean, that's a, that's a great idea to be honest with well, you. That's a great idea. But, that's, that's a guarantee. <laughs> that's a <fantastic> idea. <laughs> um, but I don't like, how do you, you know what I mean? Like what's that's, that just is a weird vibe to me that like your food, you know, serving people drinks and then getting them to drive a simulator. Like it, I don't know. It doesn't, I don't really get that, but I do, you know, I could kind of really get around the idea of saying, "Hey, let's let's uh, um, let's have a place to go watch F one races and have brunch or something." You know, we have F one breakfasts that we do. Um, yeah, it'd be fun to go do that. But um, here's the thing: you brought it up. So, Top Golf, right? Everyone's following Top Golf, which became a uh, sort of a euphoria around it when it first came around because they revolutionized the idea of of these. You know the driving range essentially and made it far more fun and entertaining for people and that sort of thing. No one has yet made the top golf of motorsports. And I know for a fact, this will not be it. So 
If it involves simulation, it's not going to be it. I th- I've had an idea. I wrote many years ago about really trying to create the top golf of motorsports. Um, and I don't think this is the way to do it. But I'm not going to bore everyone with that. Maybe we'll talk about it in our time. Uh, but I'm, I just, I'd be very surprised from what I've seen, at least from the outside, of what, especially the one over there in London, why this, you know, this is not going to live up to being the top golf of motorsports, um, unless there's some sort of special thing out there that I don't know about. So to do that, you've got to have real, dri- like real physical driving, in my opinion. But if you have real physical driving, you can't have drinking. I know, but I had a way so around that. You, I had a way like around it, that, and I can't and remember. And I'm was. already okay. <laughs> we'll, we can talk about that offline. But you're already like I. And this goes back to my point: is like you're already kind of towing a weird line by having virtual driving and drinking, because not just aside from the message, the the weird message that it sends, I think you have this potential to spiral into it's just people get drunk and drive in a simulator and it's a weird novelty right yeah and that's kind of weird and it ends up being corny right yeah but if 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 it does go this top you know one thing that top golf has done and these bowling alleys do too is you can play different mini games within the game right like top golf mm-hmm. isn't just a driving range it's it's angry birds and it's you know target golf and you can you can do all these different games while playing golf and so Maybe if there's a really creative way, and, and maybe the, the, the F1 arcade people have visions for this, that it's not just some high-dollar overpriced simulator that they're playing, you know, F1 2023, but, like, they have their own proprietary games where the, there's a more interactive mini-game okay. environment where, people, you know, that that could be something that would be interesting. And, and, and imagine it, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's like the old... Uh, off-road game where it's a stand-up game you're not having to sit down in a simulator but you could stand up and you're just holding a steering wheel you know um and you don't have to let go of your drink even and you know risk getting rookied or something <laughs> stupid like that ivan stewart off-road you mean uh which is yes. a game for those who don't know that is incredible go check it out it's the greatest arcade game ever <laughs> here's the thing you did convince me a little bit of that if they're being that inventive i hope i mean I shouldn't have been such a downer. I'm really tired today. So my my <laughs> BS meter is really low at the moment. <laughs> to accept. Well, you're on high alert. Um, I, I can tell you that I will attend an F1 arcade and we'll, I'll let you know how it goes. So wherever, I, I'm not, I don't have any plans to go to London anytime this year, but whenever one launches in the US, we'll go to, we'll go to one and check it we'll out. We'll go rate it. We'll give it a review. The, the most, go. another interesting side note to this, uh, NASCAR man, posted this on Twitter, which I thought was interesting as we see this, you know, F1 arcade coming to the U.S. sort of thing, investing maybe top signal. Uh, He posted the U.S. television average number of viewers for auto racing events so far in 2023, and F1 did not make the top 20 events in the United States in terms of viewership on linear TV. So Mm -hmm. kind of interesting. (laughs) Not even the top 20. Their closest was the Miami GP, which had 1.6 million. The the one thing you always have to remember with this, though, that I will always be fair to F1 and anybody is, is TV ratings the true metric for popularity? It's a good, very How good point. How do we measure popularity in this day and age? I don't know. Now, yep. we've talked about we have to measure T. We care about TV ra- ratings because that's how we get paid, right? 80% of our revenue comes from TV ratings. So until it changes... And eighty percent of our revenue comes from somewhere else. 
um, we're going to care about TV ratings. Yep. But, uh, you know, obviously you can tell by the hype around F1 and the money that goes into the, the celebrity around F1 and Netflix and all that stuff, TV ratings isn't the be-all, end-all in terms of popularity measurement. But it is interesting with all that hype and with all this everything, is it just smoke and mirrors, right? Like, is it just is it an echo chamber? Are mm-hmm. we ignoring – is it just an echo chamber that – of Netflix and social media and celebrities that hyped up F1, but in reality, we're forgetting that the majority of the U.S. watches NASCAR and Indy. <laughs> Sorry. It is the F1 truth. Is cool. And, and one last but thing. here in the U.S., uh, we like the eight. Yeah, and one last thing. If you bring up the streaming numbers for F1 TV, let's just be even generous here. This is, knowing the inside, this is incredibly generous. If you gave them 400,000 viewers on F1 TV, which would be probably one of the largest live streaming products for a sport ever, um, it would only move them up one spot. (laughs) They still wouldn't crack the top 20. It would only just put them over basically the NASCAR Xfinity race at Daytona. So uh, I don't think the streaming has a big effect on that sense. Let's move to IndyCar. Unfortunate news. Um, this past weekend that you don't like to see, but you did call it, Landon. May is bloody in motorsports, and we saw one of our first public casualties in terms of a separation between driver and team in that Connor Daly and Ed Carpenter racing split ways, um, and now Ryan hunter Ray will be driving that car for the rest of the season. Yeah, Um I think we've seen a couple of crew chief announcements in the sport. I don't know if we've covered them on the show, but some some crew chief announcements have moved around. May, June, bloody months. It's like everybody gets to Charlotte in May. Everybody gets to Indy in May for the 500. And once they get past those two big home track weekends, they've made their evaluations of their programs and they make their adjustments. It's interesting. You called it. And uh, Connor will announce he will be doing a Nitro Rallycross race for their kickoff, which is Travis Pastrana's uh, awesome series, which we did get tagged in, by the way. And he did I'm, – I'm calling him out publicly because he, he Instagrammed it. He was like, let's set up a test. So, Travis, we would love to come test a Nitro Rallycross car. Team Money we Lab. We are – And you know, we'd be good at it. We'd be good. We we'd are, be good for them. Um, we are members of a very exclusive fraternity called the LCQ League. And that league is a group text that comprises of Connor Daly, Travis Pastrana, and uh, among others. And so we, uh, we've, we're just trying to noodle a little bit. And maybe Parker and I can get behind the wheel of a Nitro Rallycross. Um, by the way, I just heard the ice cream truck is going by, and uh, any second I'm going to hear my kids screaming and scrambling and doors <laughs> slamming, and I couldn't be happier that I'm recording a podcast right now and not having to deal with that. Glad to save you from that. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, Lamal 24 happened this past weekend, as we called it the sedentary, it. wherever we called it, decided there. Um, what a race. The hypercar class was exceptional. You had rain intermittently hitting the racetrack, but the the racing from the drop of the green flag was intense. It was Ferrari, Cadillac, Porsche, Toyota just duking it out uh, at the top 
class of endurance racing. It, uh, within three or four hours, I just I, t- I texted you and I was like, "This is going to be a classic because it is to me like you, when you you can just sense with how hard they were pushing from the get go that this was going to be one of those classic races." Ferrari comes out on top, first time in over fifty years to be victorious at Le Mans, and I I think yes, it was them versus Toyota, and obviously Cadillac was up there. The, the, the undertone to all this is that Ferrari forever was in Formula One. That's their playground. Porsche, on the other hand, has done endurance racing for the two sports car, you know, one of the two biggest sports car manufacturer brands in the world. You know, they almost siloed from themselves away from each other. Mm-hmm. And Ferrari coming back to Le Mans was a bit of a, a moment where it's like, all right, we're going to see Porsche versus Ferrari. This is really big. Porsche got waxed. Ferrari yeah. with two cars. Goes out there and wins it. Porsche had three or four, maybe it was almost four cars, maybe even, I mean, they had three Penske's it wasn't and even the there, one Yoda. Alone reliability. Yeah, so didn't get it done. But what a golden age of sports cars we're in right now. Uh, Corvette won in their last factory effort. They announced that they no longer have a factory GT program, which is sad cool. after all the success that program has had. But it was obviously Cadillac, a GM product, investing heavily in the hypercar class. Um, I think, you know, they're like many manufacturers it, with the GT3 sort of uh, architecture becoming the dominant form of GT racing in the world. It looks like many are moving away from the factory team to just being more customer based racing. Um, and so the manufacturers are sort of heading towards the hyper class era uh, here. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. And our boys from the Garage 56 program finished 39th, but they put in a valiant effort and that car was awesome to watch. Oh, it was so cool. And I felt like the 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 social media vibe and this the the public perception of it was I hope, I think, mission accomplished. I mean, I saw people talking about it that don't normally talk about racing, talking about it in a way that I think would make you proud for NASCAR and for America, like a, a lot of memes coming out of it, which I thought was so awesome, just like Yep. All of these foreign cars racing down the Molson Strait, and then you know, the V8 <laughs> um, NASCAR next gen. I, I I think it was it was pretty cool. Um, they did a phenomenal job, and the car was fast. I think that's it's really awesome. You know, I made a tweet um, and talked about the testing that I did with the next gen early on, and how I made I what I think is probably the first laps of a NASCAR next gen at um, Le Mans in the sim. And, you know, it was a mission from the very get-go to to make it fast, to make it keep up with the GTs. And um, that in itself was a mission accomplished. I think, you know, had they not had the transaxle issues, I think they would have beaten the Corvette. Yeah, um, they were. Because they were ahead of the Corvette ahead. by 20 or 30 seconds maybe. Yep. Um, yep. When they started having the issues, and that was with just like three hours to go in the race, um, and th- it was no cakewalk. I mean, it was they had to deal with wet weather, and um, I I don't know. It was just so awesome. I was so proud. <laughs> I'm so proud for NASCAR and for America. <laughs> America. That was the, the memes. I think they won on the social media. Just like our point to earlier about F1. <laughs> what is popularity, right? Did a ton of people watch the Le Mans 24 Hours in America? Well, we're going to give, yeah, give no. you those numbers here now. But was it all over social media? Yes. 
and like that's the win and it's still all over and so i think that's you know that was mission accomplished for them with this yeah and i like i want you to get into it because this was but but you know we can talk about that so that impact because a lot it got a lot of attention on my timeline so maybe it's my echo chamber i don't know but it seemed like I had friends that I can always tell, you know, I had non-racing friends texting me links to memes on TikTok and Instagram. So I know that it was reaching just outside of my own echo chamber. Um, and it was, people were paying attention to it. And yet, you know, if you watched the, the production of the 24 hour on motor trend, it was, it's a world feed production. It wasn't a U.S. special production of 24 hour. It was just, they were just feeding the main global production. They didn't cover, you know, the garage 56 very much there were mentions and they talked about it but you know the, the broadcasters weren't super briefed and knowledgeable about nascar and there wasn't a ton of coverage and, and i guess that's fair i mean it's a special storyline but it's not the storyline it's only one car in its own class so um there wasn't a ton of coverage but there was a ton of content and coverage on social media and that leads me to where <clears throat> i want to talk about my experience trying to watch this race <laughs> motor trend app tough to use i had you to subscribe too happy with it oh i had i think i have 485 499 a month subscriptions now because every time i started the app i had to <laughs> subscribe on my ipad um I, I kept updating i tried everything but i kept having to resubscribe so but i don't know if it actually charged me for all those i gotta figure it out but maybe it was probably user error but the interesting thing uh adam stern put out there that the motor trend which was the only place you could watch it in America and Canada, averaged 161,000 viewers for the 24 Hours of Le Mans, uh, which was up 59% from 101,000 last year, just to do a monthly subscription. So you only had two options, monthly or annual subscription on Motor Trend. A monthly was $4.99 a month. So you got to think, if they were averaging 161,000 viewers, just say they got 10% of those to be new subscriptions. Broke again. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> we got internet issues here. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we basically we you just get ten percent. You got mouse in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he can't even respond. What do you mean? I know. I hear you. Oh I'm yeah. Just you said we have internet issues. I'm like asking if you got a pet turd in your pocket. Oh, yeah, no. My internet is being you and run your, by mouse. You and your mouse got a, internet issues over there? Because me and Josh are doing fine. Yeah, I know. Weird. Weird. <laughs> Money lap needs to upgrade its so, internet. Okay, so go back to telling me about how the 24 Hours of Le Mans on Motor Trend TV has the same amount of average viewers as Kings League on Twitch. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know what that is you mentioned about Twitch, but all I was saying was, if it's 161,000 average, just say they had 10% of those sign up for a new monthly subscription that they're going to forget about for five months. Uh, this mm-hmm. probably was a very much a great um, money-making thing for Motor Trend, is what I was trying to say, essentially, in that it gets all the people Oof. their app to make subscriptions via this Lamal 24-hour race and then forget about it and or hopefully become a Motor Trend full-time subscriber, right, when they go look at all their other content. So... Kind of interesting just looking at the business model when you uh, you put it behind a paywall with just the world feed. Mm-hmm. Well, I got my five bucks and probably more than that if I forget to um, unsubscribe because I don't really watch Motor Trend other than that. 
<laughs> they got my five. They got 485 different ter- uh, versions of my five bucks. So, <laughs> um, maybe it's your internet connection. Maybe that's why you're having trouble subscribing. That's probably what it Well, I wasn't here. I was in California trying to watch it the whole time. <laughs> Which had oh, me all turned man. around. <laughs> uh, hey. Well, let's. Let's close this out. What what um, we'll we'll talk about Apple Vision Pro next week. I know that's on our list. We want to talk about that. What what do we have this weekend? You're off this weekend. Are you on vacation? I'm on vacation right now. This is what vacation looks like. I do have to go to Chicago for one day on Thursday. To I'm actually going to to go and be a part of Sail GP for a day, uh, which is like the Formula One of sailing, which is going to be awesome. They're racing there in the in the lakes, uh, Chicago. So that'll be fun. Uh, looking forward to that. Of course, I signed up for this on my off, my one off weekend of the year, uh, cause I'm psychotic. That was smart. Yep. Thank you. You got F1 in Montreal, which can usually be a really good race. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, easily one of my favorites. The first place I saw Formula One two years in a row back in the early 2000s. I love that race. Love that track. Can't wait. Hopefully for NASCAR to go back there. I've heard the rumblings that they've been investigating it. I'd love to go back there. Uh, and then IndyCar is at Road America, which has been repaved. Landon, this is going to be one of the first races we're going to see with the repave. Here's the interesting part. It's going to be incredibly fast. So the IndyCar pole track record is held by Dario Franchitti, uh, which was back in 2000 at a 1 minute 39.8. And that was in basically a 1,000 horsepower era of those cart cars at the time that were just wild. The pole for last year was 144 by Alexander Rossi. But Paddle Award did a 140.72 in testing last week. So I would think there's a chance they could set a record lap around Road America, which would be awesome. With way less horsepower, too, by the way. So you need another second? I guess I don't know if if Paddle Award was in Q trim or not, but... um, Or if that's race trim, but that's, uh, you know, for some, would you, I'm just throwing something out there for maybe a future conversation. When oval tracks get repaved, the racing gets worse typically, but when road courses get repaved, I don't think the racing always gets worse. It, it's very true. And I don't know why what that do you think? is. I think, I don't know. I can't tell you. Could not tell you why that's the case, but it is interesting that it doesn't affect road courses that much, but it, it's such a massive effect for ovals of making it one groove and that sort of thing. And for road courses, I don't know. It just doesn't have that same effect. I mean, it could, the racing could be difficult, right? Because if they're going so fast around there, the aero effects will be really bad. Right. And so maybe the racing's bad, but in terms of speed, like we don't always see that in stock cars where it's a super fast lap until it's cured for a year or two or on ovals essentially. Mm-hmm. So, well, that'll be interesting to watch. It will definitely be uh, tuning in to IndyCar this weekend. Yeah, I can't wait. I'll be watching that on my weekend off. I think my internet can't take any more of this podcast, so we should probably just cut it off here. Uh, and hopefully someone throws down the money <laughs> lap. Uh, get it? At Road America. Get a, a lap record. That'd be cool. Amazing. See ya. <laughs> Bye.
Thank you so much for listening to The Money Lab. Please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice. And be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every Tuesday and Thursday. And you know what? We love bringing you all this content for free. So what do we ask for? Simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong. If you want to leave us those sorts of opinions, please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.